0: Welcome to Two Christians and a Jew, the podcast where we talk about the Hebrew scriptures, how we read them differently, and what difference it makes for our lives. I'm Miriam Kapenzer, and I share a middle name with our guest today. And my name is Frank, and I'm super
1: excited to be talking about one of my favorite things, which is images.
2: And I'm Jen Jones, and today I'm happy to welcome my dear friend, Carmen Imes. She is an Old Testament professor at Prairie College in Alberta, Canada, and also the author of Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters, and she has a contract for a new book as well, I believe.
3: That's right. I'm working on a prequel to that book entitled, provisionally entitled, Being God's Image, Why Creation Still Matters. So I've done lots of interviews on Bearing God's Name, but I'm very eager to be a learner today and learn about different ways that we view the image of God.
1: Perfect, because... I've also been reading your book, Carmen, and I have so many questions that I want to ask you. I know that we have a limited amount of time, so I'm not going to ask all of them, Okay. but I'm happy to be the Q&A monkey that you'll eventually need for uh, your prequel because right. so many questions.
0: <laughs> I did not get to read the book, but I did see some of your videos online, including with the Spanish subscripts. It was it was a real joy to, to watch those videos. I was watching Uh, the Torah Tuesday videos, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, and it
3: is Tuesday today as we're recording this, so it is there is a new video up today. It's been a really fun project.
0: So I would encourage anybody listening to this podcast to also head over to YouTube and check out Carmen's YouTube channel where she has some really cool content. Thank you.
2: So you wanted to dive into the image today, Carmen, and Mm -hmm. I guess probably our best place to start would be in Genesis 1.
3: Yeah, I think the big question that um, scholars, theologians have debated through the the centuries is what does it mean that humans are made in the image of God? What is it about humans that sets them apart from the rest of creation? There have been a lot of different proposals. Um, uh, Many people think that it has something to do with human capacity, our capacity for rational thought, or for relationships, or for creativity, or for self-awareness. These things set us apart from animals in some way. Um, But there's a growing number of scholars who who would argue that it doesn't have to do with our capacity, it has to do with our status or our identity. Um, So I would love to hear what the rest of y'all think and, and how you read these texts. In particular, I'm really curious to hear how Jews understand this sentence So Genesis 126, let us make Mm -hmm. humanity in our image or as our image um, and how we sort of unpack that.
0: Yeah, good questions. Can I ask you to clarify the the second option? You were saying scholars are moving in the direction of thinking about identity. Can you tell me a little bit more about that so I have a clearer map of
3: what people are thinking about? So there are, some scholars would say there are um, some unwanted ethical implications of us insisting that the image of God has to do with human capacity because how then do we account for the image with humans who lack that capacity so so say a Mm. human in a in a coma if you're in a coma have you Mm -hmm. lost your ability to be the image of God because Mm -hmm. you're no longer capable of rational thought or relationship or creativity or Mm self-awareness um people who have disabilities of various kinds, either mental or physical disabilities, does that, does that somehow negate or detract from the image of God? So I was first exposed to this conversation um, probably, it's probably been eight or ten years ago now that I heard John Kilner present at the Evangelical Theological Society meeting on the image of God. Kilner is a a theologian and an ethicist, and he would argue he has a book called Dignity and Destiny, Humanity and mm-hmm. the Image of God, uh, which I'm reading now. But basically, he said for for most of his career, he's heard people talk about the image of God being lost or distorted or destroyed in some way with the fall in Genesis 3. Mm. And he says, we actually get into some deep trouble if we think that the image is lost because if, if the image of God, if the fact that our fellow humans are the image of God is the basis for our treating them with dignity, then if we say that not every human being shares that image, then there goes our ethical, our basis for ethical treatment of one another. So I'm, I'm really curious. So that's my convoluted question, because I know that Jewish interpretation of Genesis 3 tends to, to part ways with Christian interpretation. That is, we call it a fall And I believe you don't typically refer to it as the fall. I'm very curious to hear how, okay, so first, what does it mean to be the image of God? And then what happens in Genesis 3 to that image? Is it impacted in some way by Adam and Eve's rebellion? Obviously, bad things happen in Genesis 3. But the question remains whether those bad Mm -hmm. things have a direct impact on human identity or status or capacity depending on how we read image or if it, if it uh, affects other things in other ways. So that's what I'd love to unpack.
0: Wow. Okay. This, this is an amazing set of questions. I think I'd like to do something very unusual for myself, which is to give you a very short answer upfront, okay. and then maybe we can dig into details as we go. So what does image of God mean for Jews? There are a variety of interpretations, as mm-hmm. I imagine you probably imagined I would say. Yeah. In fact, it's not even clear that we're talking about an image of God mm. because the word Elo, I'm going to say it with a mm-hmm. K sound, but hear the H huh sound uh, because I don't want to pronounce the name explicitly. The Elokim, Elohim,
2: mm-hmm.
0: what we're translating as image of God, Elohim could mean a number of different things. And so that's one of the things that I'd like to explore. Mm -hmm. So that's one piece. Next piece is, there is, again, a range of opinions about whether or not the presence or the manifestation of the image is affected by the sin of Adam and Chava with the tree Mm -hmm. of knowledge of good and evil. Oh, Mm -hmm. hold on. I should say, Eve is I don't know exactly how English got to Eve, but the name as we have it is Chava. I guess if you imagine Chava and then you take away the Ch sound at the beginning, so it becomes Ava, which is similar to like in Romance languages, translations, I think. Is that right, Mm -hmm. Frank? Yep, that's right. And then maybe the vowels get transformed a little bit in English just to make sure that we associate the woman with evil we make sure that it sounds like eve wow so (laughs) it's a pretty common thing in
1: romance languages especially as we get into from them to germanic languages where we want to drop the hard aspirations because Mm -hmm. breathing gets hard as you get far north
3: Mm -hmm. this this is how we get anna in the new testament when actually in greek her name is Hannah. yeah we dropped the rough breathing at the at the beginning of her name. When yeah, was-
0: and the Greek closely mirrors the the Hebrew there, Hana. Mm-hmm. Okay. So continuation, there's a variety of opinions about whether or not the image is uh, lost or it becomes defective or exactly how that works. Mm-hmm. And the consensus, if I can try to summarize, if I can give over my sense of what the consensus is, mm-hmm. it is that the Image is diminished, okay. Which would seem to be bad news for human dignity the way that you were speaking about it. Yeah. But the good news is that the concept of tselem elokim of being made in the image of God is almost totally unimportant on a practical ethical level in Jewish law. Okay. So if you're basing your morality or your ethics However, you understand that if you're basing your ethical structure on this idea, this is your foundation. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, th- that the fall would be a real threat to it. The the mm-hmm. sin of Adam and Chava would be a real threat to that foundation. But this isn't our foundation.
1: Okay, I do want to poke at something really quick because you're saying Selim El What does Selim mean? How, how do we mm-hmm. how do I translate that for a non-Hebrew speaker.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. There are two important connotations to bring out right away, which show up in different interpretations. And one is image. Image isn't a maybe probably form would be better mm-hmm. because when we get into Maimonides's understanding, he's going to say that we're talking about the essence of something. Think like Aristotelian essence. So that would okay. that would be the selim.
1: I, I guess the reason that I want to poke at that just a little tiny bit mm-hmm. is because, backing up, I mean, I'm a software developer. So my day job mm-hmm. is building web applications and image.
0: Oh, so you deal it, with images. <laughs> it's, a, it's a
1: picture with pixels, you know, placed mm-hmm. discreetly on a thing. And we're not talking about image in any possible sense of that. We're talking about a word that We're translating as image, but it didn't mean anything like a picture or a painting Mm -hmm. not 3,000 years ago. Is that a fair statement to make?
0: Yes, that's a very fair statement. We aren't talking about a visual image. And again, if we turn to Rambam, the very first thing that he says in his comment on this idea And actually, it's almost the very first thing that he says in his magnum opus, Guide of the Perplexed, is that this in no way implies the corporality of God.
2: Hmm.
0: Like it's absolutely essential to say up front, we're talking about form in the sense of essence. And this has nothing to do with God looking like us. He doesn't. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't look like us, so put that out of your head right away. Right. And now let's talk about what we're actually talking about.
3: So can I ask then? There there are a growing number of Hebrew Bible scholars who talk about Selim as something concrete. So I don't think that they are insisting that um, that God in God himself is a body, the way we have a body, but mm-hmm. that the idea of Tselim especially in cognate languages is referring to a physical idol or or statue that would be in the most holy place of somebody's temple and, and so, also
0: also in Hebrew we yes. we use the word slamim you know to talk about statues that that yes. were kept by idol worshippers yeah
3: So I'm curious, um, this is something that's been niggling in my brain, and I haven't had a chance to uh, pursue it yet. If there's a sense in which God is making humans as his physical representation or physical representatives on earth, there's something concrete, it, it has to do with our concreteness, then why in Exodus 20 verse 4, when when the making of idols is prohibited, is the word not Selim? Why is it pestle?
1: That was going to be one of my questions for you, Carmen. But yeah, yeah, and I
3: I haven't spent enough time with it yet to figure out an answer. But I I it's been hanging there, waiting for my attention.
0: So let me try to understand the question. You're saying that we have a word Selim, and it can refer to these statues. Mm-hmm. So why would we use a different word in the Decalogue
3: mm-hmm.
0: referring to the, the prohibition
3: on sure. idols there? Sure. Or may, maybe I could just ask, what, what in your mind is the difference between a tselem and a pestle? Are there, is there overlap between
0: mm-hmm. them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there is overlap. And what's striking about the word pestle is that it directly refers to the process of making the thing.
2: Hmm.
0: Pesel, it's like to sculpt something. And it actually it's um maybe more concrete for many people to think of whittling. Yeah. So pesel is like the word psolet, which is waste material. So when you mm. carve something out, when you sculpt something out mm. of a solid block, you generate psolet, you generate waste material.
1: Okay. This, this so. gets really confusing, just me ranting a little tiny bit about why translation is hard. Again, in Exodus 20, 23, it says, thou shalt not make unto you uh, a graven image. So like this is an act, it's an active thing. So this mm. vessel that we're talking about, it's not about something that's existing or has already been made. But um, it's that word "graven image" that, in, at least in English, we don't really think of "graven."
0: There, like the, the the phrase you're talking about is "pesel timuna," right? So the engraven part you're getting from the word "pesel," and right. the image part you're getting from the word tumuna which is another word that can also mean image,
1: right? So, th- so this "pesel" is. Um, like that's the actual act of me carving something, whittling, I guess, or, you know, hammering something out with chisel. Mm-hmm. And then the result is temuna, which is mm-hmm. a different meaning of image than we see back in Genesis. Like, I don't see that in Genesis 26, 27, and I don't see it in Genesis Five. either. There's lots of different terms that mean image. I guess I'm echoing Carmen's questions as to why the choice of words here for making a graven image and why the choice of words here for likeness when there's different words for likeness that I see in Genesis 5.
0: Okay, cool. First, let me bring Another word that we use to refer to idols, and that's Masecha. The golden calf is referred to as a Masecha. Masecha in modern Hebrew means mask. Mm-hmm. The root in the language of the Torah is actually referring to metal. Hmm. So okay. there again, you have an intimate connection between the material. Mm-hmm. The right. Process that you use in relating to the material in connection with the eventual use of it mm-hmm. uh, as idolatry. Mm-hmm. So, there's when we talk about idolatry, you know, we aren't talking about ideas so much. Yeah. What we're yeah. talking about, it, people are allowed to try out all sorts of crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. What what really concerns us is the act of worship. Mm-hmm. The Torah's discussion of Avodah Zarah, of what we translate as idolatry, it literally means foreign worship or alien worship or worship which will alienate you. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: We're interested in the modes that are used for worship and how those can become problematic. Mm -hmm. So that's just to throw out another word that's involved in all this. Now, it turns out I hadn't actually thought about this. That we have a lot of different words that we're translating as image or likeness, and it all kind of seems interchangeable.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I don't, there's some kind of like dimensional reduction here where, like, you take something, it's like you take a 3D object and you shine a light on it, and then you look at the shadow and you don't know what the depth mm-hmm. is, you don't know mm-hmm. the colors of it, you lose a lot of dimensions when you do that kind of projection. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that kind of projection here when we're translating. It's a, in general, I think, a problem with translation. There's an alternate problem in translation when you have too many synonyms in your language, right? Mm-hmm. Now, now, how am I going to over-define the thing coming from this other language? That's yeah. actually very common in translating from the language of the Torah into English right. because English vocabulary can be so specific and the language of the Torah is so primal and simple and and general in a way, uh, so each word can refer to to very many things relative to English I think that's helpful
3: I, it, what you've said is helpful because i've I've thought of it to the degree that I've thought of it um, this difference between vocabulary in Genesis one and then in the Decalogue I've thought of it as a missed opportunity because if God created mm-hmm. humans as his image or idol, not idol in the sense that he's going to worship it, but idol in in the sense that any idol represents the deity and the deity's presence. And so if he made humans to represent his presence on earth, then, then it would, it seems to me, it would have fit so well to say in the Decalogue, don't make any idols because I've already made an idol and it's you. I've already made someone to represent my presence. So if you make uh, another image to represent my presence, you will be diminishing your own status as my representatives. But I think what you've said is helpful in that it it could be that PESEL is focusing on the process of making rather than the end product because it's being prohibited. That's helpful.
2: One thing as you were talking, Carmen, that I'd just like to highlight because most of us when we within the church talk about an idol, we automatically have bad connotations Mm -hmm. with it because we think idolatry. And the way you were speaking of it doesn't necessarily carry that connotation. So I think the, I just want to highlight here that the issue here is that an idol represents in this ancient conception would have represented a deity. Mm -hmm. The problem with idolatry then would have been the worship of another deity yes and that representation rather than the idol being fundamentally the problem the fundamental mm-hmm. problem is the rep- is the deity behind it is
3: yes that yeah. may
2: not be the best way to put it but that's why we have negative connotations but you can talk about it differently
3: yes and i i like to use the word idol when i'm teaching on genesis 1 in spite of its negative connotations because at least that's something concrete and it helps us sort of reconnect with the the three-dimensional concreteness of a tzellam, where we don't have that connotation when we say, the, when, when you say the word image, I think of a flat, digital, right. pixelated representation.
2: Right. Or even just an idea in your head.
3: Yes, or an idea. Something that you're visualizing. Yeah.
0: So, um, See, I, w- I would push back against all this, and I would say, even if you have the right God, Creating an image of that God is a big problem.
3: Yes, I agree. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But he and has also created the, humans hmm. and he's called humans his tselem, which in, implies that there is some represent, I, the way I read it, there is a, a mm-hmm. representational role for humanity that's signified by our being made in his image.
0: Who are we representing to?
3: The rest of creation.
0: So we actually have a tradition that when Adam was created, all the creatures came to him and looked at him and bowed down to him. Hmm. And he said, whoa, 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 you've got the wrong guy Hmm. because I'm not the one you should be bowing down Mm -hmm. to. Yes. We need to worship the one.
3: Yes. Creator. Yes. Yeah. And I, I would say that's consistent with with how I see it. I don't think that the the man and the woman are meant to receive worship in any form, but that mm-hmm. they're they're mediating the presence of God and carrying on God's creative work in the world, and His dominion over creation on His behalf. Filling the earth and subduing it is a way of extending the rule of God over all creation. So humans. Are, are sort of standing in as God's ambassadors or partners in some sense. And so then, of course, they should deflect any worship to to the deity.
0: So I think I disagree very strongly with you, but I think okay. it's a subtle disagreement. Okay. And I have a source to show you. But before yeah. that, I think Frank wants to jump in.
1: Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I was reading a book to my four-year-old this morning, so I have this fun little oh, kids fun. book that some friends of mine from Israel gave me, and I was reading it to her in Hebrew. Poorly, by the way, but it's a story about a monkey who's looking for his mom. And but the great big point is that we can all relate point, to that. I mean, you know, we've all been there. Who isn't lost in a jungle and looking for their mom? And he's going to all these different <laughs> this is animals. So true. I mean it happens to the best it's of the us it's the existential human crisis <laughs> yeah he has a pretty existential crisis in a jungle and he's going to these different animals asking like are you my mom and it's always starting off with like no 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 that that's an you know fill in the blank animal but there's mm-hmm. a point where he actually finds these different animals and my poor hebrew trans, modern hebrew translated translates this word uh, doma as looks like so he comes across I think it's a, a snake in this one part but yeah it's right here where it says Ima lo doma which means looks like best of my understanding and the reason this set off some wires some alerts in, in my brain was that word doma and I thought I've seen that and I went back to Genesis one twenty six and twenty-seven and it, there's a root right there in Genesis 26 where it says, Elohim mm-hmm. and then, which again, I'm saying this poorly because I didn't go to school for that, but I'm seeing that as after our likeness. And I'm seeing the same word here of likeness. And I thought that was interesting that, you know, in this fun little kid story, One thing, he's looking at a snake saying that's not like my mom. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing this word likeness, but it's right after this other word in the exact same sentence that says, you know, we're going to make man in our image after our likeness. And those are different words. And that word likeness, I was very confused and I started looking some stuff up. And I noticed in Genesis, I think it's Genesis Mm five, that I see this word likeness again. Mm -hmm. And maybe Mary, you want to chime in here, but I I started to notice that this word likeness it seems to have a share a root with a lot of other words that I'd never caught before. Like the word for blood, dumb, Mm -hmm. is in the word likeness, Mm -hmm. and a dumb has dumb in it. So Adam has this connection to blood, and likeness has to do with bloodness. I don't know if that's a thing, but it's like this image thing. Like we've got this Selim, but then we've also got this likeness that is somehow related to blood, and Adam is related to blood. May I help. I don't know what to do with this.
0: <laughs> so I'll give you a few more things. So Adam is also related to Adama, which is earth. Right. That's how he gets his name most directly. And then there are two other words that jump to mind with that Dalit-Mem combination. There's Vaidom, dom, to be quiet, to be silent. And then there's also Damim, which can mean blood. It can also mean value or specifically money. And if I can plug my other podcast, the Artifact Podcast, artifactpodcast.com, we just did a whole episode about weights and measures and money, and we get deep into that. <laughs> so yeah, you're hot on the trail of something here. And the common denominator, uh, the the similar thing running through these concepts, I'd suggest is similarity itself, right? So... We have in the Talmud and the Sanhedrin, a beautiful manifestation of this idea. If somebody comes to you and puts a gun to your head and says, you kill that third person over there, or I kill you, what do you do? So in general, we have a very strong principle of self-defense, but that person who you would kill is not trying to kill you. So in this case, you choose to die let him kill you. Mm -hmm. And the expression that we use to reason this out is, who's to say that your blood is redder than his? Maybe his blood is redder than yours. Mm. So blood is the way that we think about it because that's what you have in common. It's generic. That's how we can do blood transfusions. Before we were able Mm -hmm. to transfuse or move anything else was blood because blood is so generic. Yeah, there are different blood types, but it's basically the same stuff. For everybody. By the same token, what's the word for red? Well, it's not this way in the Gemara because it's in Aramaic, but the word for red is Mm Adom.
1: Right.
0: Right? Which is again the same thing. And you can imagine, you know, if we were to go back into Semitic roots, maybe Jen, you have something about this from Near Eastern stuff. The earth brownness or redness, so Adama, Adom, and then Mm -hmm. Dam. Earth, redness, and blood all kind of come together there. So So I'm really
3: curious to hear what your strong disagreement is with me.
0: Yeah, let's do that. One step back. Whatever the image of God is, it's not that God looks like us. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, it sets humans apart from other creatures because nothing else is spoken of in these terms. Mm -hmm. It makes us like God in some way need to figure out what that way is. Mm -hmm. And it provides for our relationship with God in some way as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So an example of this idea of what it might be, Rashi says that it's la vinula skill. It's that we're able to understand and to, la skill is more difficult to translate, but let's just say it's like to comprehend maybe. Okay. So My favorite early source is a Midrash in Bereishit Rabbah. And uh, it's approximately like this. It's like God said, look, I'll create him in the image and likeness of supernal beings. And still he'll also procreate like material evolved beings. So here, what does Elohim mean? It's not referring to God. It's referring to supernal beings. Okay. We just talked about this in another episode. Jen was talking about God's counsel.
2: Mm-hmm. Divine counsel. Yeah. yeah.
0: Divine counsel. That's one of the possible meanings of that word Elohim.
3: Yes. Okay? And there's, this is actually the position Richard Middleton takes in the liberating image. He says the, the let us make man is the deity speaking to the divine counsel therefore what it means to be the image probably reflects something wider than the deity himself and probably includes the divine council in some way
0: so it it could be this mm-hmm. and and that understanding that god is talking to the divine council is a possibility mm-hmm. it's not the only possibility in terms of how we understand how we relate to the range of possible interpretations my mm-hmm. tendency is to look at the, the range of interpretations in my tradition mm-hmm. and then step back and say, okay, I'm not, in general, I'm not going to be able to say this one is correct and this one is incorrect mm-hmm. because of the level on which these people are operating. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm learning from them. I'm their student. In some cases, I can look and I can say, this is clearly a mistake because it's inconsistent with what he says in this other place. right? But in general, I'm not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So what I need to come to is a theory, which is somehow going to encompass the whole range of, of possibilities. Mm-hmm. So in general, that's how I approach things interpretively. Okay. But this particular midrash I wanted to bring for you, because you were talking about man as God's representative. So it sounded to me like you're thinking of man or human, I should say, as of human as a kind of bridge between the heavens and the earth as a kind of mode of connection, or this is what's going to enable that relationship or something like that.
3: Yeah, maybe a mediator in some sense.
0: Mm-hmm. So it sounds like I'm not quite right on, do you wanna refine your idea for me?
3: Well, I, I, br- the word bridge, I'm hesitant on the word bridge because I don't think mm-hmm. that humans are somehow enabling or facilitating the animal's connection with the divine. But there is, I think, a potentially a sense in which humans point to the divine presence and illustrate uh, God's power and rule, and participate in that rule in a limited way.
0: Ah, ah. Okay. So I think I think I found what we disagree on. Okay. So. When we read Genesis uh, 1, verses 26 and 27, and we're talking about that image, it's specifically in the context of humans are going to basically conquer, terraform, and rule over Mm -hmm. the the world. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that this is like an extension of God's power into the world, something like that?
3: I would say it's a form of delegated authority.
0: Okay, and so, not in in
3: any kind of absolute sense. We don't have the freedom to just terrorize other mm-hmm. other humans or animals.
0: Mm-hmm. There,
3: it's it's carefully proscribed so that we, uh, or circumscribed so that our our power needs to be exercised in benevolent ways that that enable others to flourish.
1: That, by the way, is the the reason that I'm asking my questions about DOM and mm. its kind of roots because if I'm seeing this essence that comes from God and it's in humanity, and that's why we have that, that word that means like, that, that has that relationship to blood. I'm asking, that's why I'm one, wondering the same thing. Mm. Are we delegating to the rest of humanity because we share an some sort of essence, some sort of likeness of God mm-hmm. in that?
0: Uh, um, so on those two words, selim and demut, right? The, what we were translating as image and then what we were translating as likeness, Mm -hmm. there's a, one of the interesting debates is are those essentially synonymous Mm -hmm. and we're using different words in order to give people a better picture of what's going on here Mm -hmm. or are they actually distinct things? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a live debate.
2: Yeah. Okay. You've commented in the past mayor that in within Jewish interpretation and in Torah, that there is not even an extra letter. So I would assume mm-hmm. that with that framework in mind, that there's something very intentional mm-hmm. and it's not just a synonym that it can't be entirely Yeah. It,
3: it can't needs, be entirely.
2: It needs something more. So yeah. how does that fit within the interpretive framework?
0: Oh, well, those words are definitely not synonymous. There's no question about that, but if in this case they're coming to describe what is essentially one thing then oh, okay. we're we're using two Little different ways different to
2: aspects, yeah aspects two different yeah. points of view on one single thing yeah
0: yeah we have one idea that we're trying to convey and we're using two different words to get at it because one would be insufficient by itself
2: mm mm-hmm. hmm what okay. does likeness bring to the table? What does DeMuth mm-hmm. bring to the table that Selim didn't have?
0: That is a good question. And I think I'd like to push it off.
2: Okay. That's fair if enough. That's
0: okay. All right. <laughs> Frank's so, not
2: happy. Mm. Very disappointed.
0: <laughs> Questions. It's all right. It's all right. Okay.
2: Well, we are on a clock. So that was probably a, a uh, another rabbit trail
0: i I'm, I'm looking at my notes going like, oh, should I go down that route now or not? If I can get back to, to Carmen's idea, I want to challenge you with that idea of delegated authority. Okay. Can't God do it by himself? Sure. So then what's the point?
3: So the point would be relationship. And the point would be, perhaps we see sort of a shadow of the same idea in chapter two, when God gives Adam a job to do. And then mm-hmm. says, or gives the human a job to do, and then says, it's, it's not good for you to be alone. You need a, a helper suitable to, or corresponding to you. I wonder if in the same way, yes, God could do it on his own, but to involve humanity in God's action in the world is somehow more satisfying might well, be
2: back to the question of why create us at all. He could do yeah. anything. Why create us at all? Mm-hmm. It's, and that's not so much a question for Carmen. It's just, you know, if we're asking, yes, can he do it all himself? Well, you know, of course he can. He chose not to in some, for some reason now. Um, but why did he create us at all? So
3: Let me just add that I think one, one thing I've learned in the past few months as I've been reading various dissertations on this topic is I came to this thinking that delegated authority was the essence of what it meant to be the image of God. Mm-hmm. But I'm now convinced, uh, and I'm still in process, but I'm currently convinced that w- that our identity as God's image has to do with our kinship to God and our and that the dominion we exercise or the authority we exercise is an implication of our status or identity as God's image it's not the thing itself because as soon as you as soon as you make it about exercising authority you're back in the same problem with well what if someone is physically incapacitated or mentally incapacitated and they can't participate in meaningful ways in dominion then are they not the image of God? So I I appreciate those who have sort of tweaked my understanding and said it's dominion or representation is a, a function that's a side implication or maybe even the primary implication of being the image, but it isn't the thing itself.
0: That works, I think, very nicely with Genesis 1. With Genesis 2, it's a little more problematic because they're the creation of human is presented essentially as the solution to a plumbing problem you have to elaborate (laughs) i mean you have this issue where you have these trees or you you have these plants and nothing is blooming Mm -hmm. because there's no adam there to Mm -hmm. work the land which we understand as essentially to be praying for the rain to recognize the Mm. the goodness of the the rain and to to pray for it uh so if there the the adam the human appears very ancillary to these other things and so his purpose does seem to be to accomplish something Mm -hmm. in the world
3: that's a good point i was noticing that passage yesterday i was translating genesis 2 and i noticed that there's no greenery and then it gives two reasons why green plants aren't growing Mm -hmm. one the deity has not yet caused rain upon the earth, and mm-hmm. there's no human to work the soil. And it right. seems like there it implies that there is that humans are are necessary partners in the endeavor of cultivating a flourishing earth.
0: Right. And also listen to the specific language there. Mm-hmm. So the the operative word there is or the operative root there is adam mm-hmm. adama right so it's not just that there's there's no man to you know ask for rain to come down on the arets on the mm-hmm. land right we're using that same shorish twice so there's some mm-hmm. sense of identity yes. between the the human and the earth we we have that in latin too by the way right mm-hmm. homo humus yeah, um, yeah. And even in English, earth and earthling.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, and so this, a couple of things come to mind here. It sounds like when you're drawing on that mare, that the continuity or, dare I say, kinship is between humanity and the land. Whereas what Carmen was talking about, it sounded like in these theological discussions was the kinship was a a not an identity and a certain, but you use the word kinship mm-hmm. tying mm-hmm. it sounded like humanity to God. So I I think we're seeing two yeah. different things here, but maybe I'm misunderstanding what these no, are. No, out- no. I think,
0: think I think that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. And that's yeah, exactly now we're back the point of the, the midrash. We're back to the bridge. We're back to that midrash that I was mm-hmm. saying, where God is saying, Look, I'll create him in the image and likeness of spiritual beings of supernal beings Mm -hmm. and still he'll also procreate like material evolved Mm -hmm. beings, right? So he's going to have, there's a duality inherent in humanity. So on one hand, he's going to be somehow like high things and somehow Mm -hmm. like low things. I think it's a good idea to see both sides of that. Can I push us in a slightly different direction now? Here's the question. What else can Elohim and Selim Elohim mean? We've been translating it usually as image of God, but I'm saying also it could mean supernal beings because Elohim, first of all, is, is plural, even though it, takes, it always takes a singular predicate when it's referring to God. Mm-hmm. But the same word Elohim, I'll just say Elohim now, can also mean human judges in some contexts. Sure. Um, for example, in the, I'll remember your term for this, the Book of the Covenant. I forget which uh, chapter it is, uh, but there's a, a specific mitzvah to not uh, curse your Elohim mm-hmm. or to, another word for curse, uh, your nasi, your president, your uh, sort of governmental prince. head.
3: Mm-hmm. Prince,
0: yeah, prince is a good translation. So there Elohim pretty clearly means human judges, yeah, yes, referring to human judges.
3: Yes. What are the implications of that, do you think, for this this passage in Genesis 1?
0: If we're going to understand Elohim in this way, we're getting into a really interesting issue, of which you brought up before, about whether or not we still have it. Mm-hmm. So if I can go back to sort of the the root problem that you were dealing with yeah. about, like, there's a kind of moral ethical, ethical dilemma You're Like, yep. it, it seems like really not nice to say it's only people who have this agency to participate in the dominion, right? Well, first of all, that dominion is something that's given over to our whole species. So yes. it might really be that it's not for certain individuals. Maybe some yes. individuals can't do that or shouldn't do that, mm-hmm. or can only do that. I mean, probably nobody can do that in every way that's possible. So probably mm-hmm. everybody is shut off from doing it, at least some ways.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You really, on some level, don't want Hitler ruling Germany, but maybe he's a pretty good painter and you know he should really, you know, <laughs> just keep painting. It's a good way for him to do Dominion and you know, we're happy to have him do that.
2: And this goes you know, back to a point you made earlier for Christians This is a fundamental issue for our ethic. And if that is not the foundation, then I think that opens up a comfort level with other possible interpretations. But if we are grounded in a person's innate value being tied to this idea of the image of God, then you've got to do that. Yeah, Can I
3: push on that a little bit, Mare? Can I mm -hmm. ask about Genesis 9? Because as you know, there's three places where the image of God is talked about in Genesis. It's chapter 1, chapter 5, and chapter 9. And in chapter 9, after the flood, it seems to me that God is tying the accountability for bloodshed to this foundation that every human is the image of God. Therefore, that's why you shouldn't kill each other. So to me, there's an ethical, the ethical foundation is image of God in that Place. Is that how you see it or no?
0: Yes, that seems to be the direct implication of that verse there. So that's uh, nine, uh, six. six. And th- this is an amazing verse for what Frank was bringing out before. Just listen to the music. Mm-hmm.
3: It's beautiful.
0: It's a really beautiful, yeah. The poetry of that verse is particularly beautiful. And that word dam is key in a verse just two before that. damo mm-hmm. ah, You must not eat the flesh with its lifeblood in it, referring to like mm-hmm. we, now we can eat animals. Before the flood, we couldn't eat animals. Now you can eat animals, but don't eat the flesh together with the blood. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. but for your own lifeblood, I'll require a reckoning right? Mm-hmm. But if you were to kill another human, it's not like killing another animal. Why? Because if you pour out the blood of another human, by the way, that's how we talk about doing kosher slaughter, you need to pour out the blood of the animal. Mm-hmm. It's a very important aspect of what keeping kosher is.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: not just keeping uh, meaty things and uh, dairy things separate. There, there are particular ways that slaughter needs to be done. You need to pour out the blood of the animal Right. But if you were to do that to a human, whoa, now you're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And because of because of that Tzala right? OK, so now if you say that uh, the Tzala was lost or diminished with the sin of Adam and Chaba, what on earth are you talking about here?
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Like This is like a crazy thing to say. This doesn't make any sense at all. So that's why I think it has to be, if we're going to say that there's a sense in which the image is lost, it must be that it's diminished and not lost entirely. Okay. The principle must still have force. Otherwise, this verse really makes no sense at all. Yeah. But in terms of this not grounding Jewish ethics, it's because we don't have a mitzvah here. Okay. You're telling me something about who Hmm. I am But there's no command. Like, what am I supposed to do or not do? It's not clear. So here I do have a specific mitzvah. And the specific mitzvah is don't kill other humans. Okay, very good. Guess what? We'll have that mitzvah many other times (laughs) in the Torah. And each time along the way, we'll have different details that come along with it. Mm-hmm. But the particular reason that's given here winds up not having so much force in the the way that things work out legally once we compare everything and look at okay. how everything works, because this is a very, very early breed. This is a Brit. very early covenant, and the covenant will develop over time for us. Yeah. And the way that things build up with all the mitzvot that we have, this idea of Tzalem we see it here early in Genesis, but then where is it later? It doesn't have the legal force. It's not something that carries ethical obligatory weight with it in a way that we really process in the legal literature. Okay. Now, if you don't have all the mitzvot, then I can see why you would turn to this and you would go, well, hold on, this looks like a very strong grounding for how we're going to relate to people. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then to, to get back to the initial problem, right? It seems very unpleasant to say that people with disabilities of whatever kind are somehow less divine because they aren't able to participate in dominion in the same way. And I, I think on a very intuitive level, this is also just wrong, because very frequently, the way that you experience the imminence of God in creation is specifically through a person with a disability. Mm-hmm. It's specifically because this person isn't able in ways that I take for granted mm-hmm. that I'm able to appreciate what truly matters in being human.
2: Mm-hmm. And we see a lot of that in the discussion around an organization called L'Arche that creates homes for people with cognitive disabilities. And I've mm-hmm. done some reading and writing there. And I think you know, living with a child who has a cognitive disability. For me, the the ability to see things so simply and not to get caught up in all this head stuff and get caught up in this debate, while I thoroughly enjoy it, there is a simplicity and joy that comes mm-hmm. in his ability to relate to other people mm-hmm. and to see God mm-hmm. Yeah, that I think is very special and unique. And so mm-hmm. this is you know, as, as Carmen's talking about this, this is a very real, relevant issue for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. That experience is so important. Mm-hmm. I think that should render this philosophical question irrelevant.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I think there's a sort of methodological issue here, too, that if we're going to take things that we find unpleasant and then say, therefore, I must interpret things differently, mm-hmm. like who's talking now? Mm-hmm. Is this God's teaching or is this your teaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's no, if it's just going to be about what my sensibilities are, yeah. I have no leverage to get beyond my sensibilities. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a fair critique. My goal is in reading the biblical text to read it well, but I think sometimes there are unintended consequences of our interpretations that might point back to a flaw in our having read it, you know, in an mm-hmm. inadequate way. And I think that's how I was looking at this ethical conundrum, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not not that it should drive the discussion, but right. that it might cause us to ask, have we fully understood the image mm-hmm. of God? If it doesn't apply equally to every human being, there might be something wrong with, with how we've read it.
2: Mm-hmm. Or with how we've explained our interpretation. Sometimes sure. the interpretation may be adequate, but we haven't expressed ourselves well. Sure.
3: One thing. So I got the kinship idea from Kathy McDowell's dissertation, the image of God in the garden of Eden. Okay. Um, okay. um, Genesis five is, is really central in her idea of um, that's where we learn that kinship is, is part of what it means to be the image of God because that's where we see that Adam, when he bears Seth, Seth is made in Adam's image. And so that both affirms that the image has not been completely lost and it it outlines for us what one—not uh, an implication, but one angle on the image of what it means—is, and that it's that it has something to do with a almost a biological connection. There's some sort of continuity between God and humans that we don't see with the animals. It's some sort of unique connection
1: it makes me wonder if "image" is the right word to even be using. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If there's a better word that we should choose for describing whatever this thing is that we have
0: that mm-hmm. we that
1: allows us to bear this likeness to God. Yeah. Yes,
0: there is. Selim. And it's the word Selem. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so we should just all learn Hebrew.
0: Yes. Great I idea. Have
3: so many <laughs> problems.
0: <laughs> Frank is saying Frank, you're reading a children's book to your kid in Hebrew.
3: <laughs> one uh. thing that one thing that Kathy goes on to say that I found interesting is when she when she looks at Genesis 3, she says there's there's a loss of glory. So it's not that, the, not, not that humans are no longer the image of God, but there's a loss of glory and potentially their kingship, their status as kings has been revoked. By being banished from the garden, uh, there, there may be a loss of status there. I'm, I'm not sure what to think about that. Do you have any thoughts?
0: I don't know about status. I'm not really sure how to process that. Um, it's true by the time we get to Noah, but that's chapter nine, not chapter five. Then we're talking about being reinserted into the food chain and having really a very different relationship to creatures than Mm -hmm. Adam has. Glory is a really interesting word to apply here. I'm not sure how to process it. It kind of depends on the details of what she really means. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are kind of three things that I want to put out before we... We finish up. And one involves another talking animal. And when I saw this, I said, Okay, I have to I have to get this in there because this will make Frank very happy. And this relates to the loss of the image. So this is another midrash from Vareshid Rabba. Abba Kohen Bardala was asked, Why does scripture enumerate Adam Sheth, Enosh? And then become silent. It's talking about that verse right there in uh, chapter five. Mm -hmm. So he answers, hitherto they were created in the likeness and image of God. But from then onward, centaurs were created.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And Carmen and I are wondering, where did that come
2: from?
0: Who cares? That's awesome. The, The word in the original is kintorin.
1: Okay, literally it
0: says centaurs. Centaurs, yeah, literally centaurs. It's a direct direct translation, right? Then the Midrash goes on and says, four things changed in the days of Enosh, right? So now there's already a kind of descent in generations going down. And we have a tradition that idolatry began in the days of Enosh, not in an explicit form necessarily, but sort of like the root twist in human thinking that led to, What eventually became full-blown idolatry began in that generation. Uh, That's a different conversation though. So what are those four things that changed? He says, the mountains became barren rocks. The dead began to feel the worms. Men's faces became ape-like and they became vulnerable or literally they they became affected. They, They could become sick because of demons, which if demons are imaginary, that's also a very valid interpretation for understanding this, you know, psychological illnesses that, and people could become ill simply through their fantasies. Mm-hmm. Very striking Midrash about how things changed and, and were diminished. And I think the key thing there, if there's a suggestion as to how we're diminished in terms of dignity
2: mm-hmm.
0: and in terms of mental capacities, that's a, a universal condition. That's now, there's now a different default for humanity. Mm-hmm. And that's where the blatant elitism of two commentators who I'd like to bring comes in. Rambam Maimonides says that this image refers specifically to intellectual perception. So he says, it's on account of the divine intellect with which man has been endowed that he's said to be made in the form and likeness of the Almighty. But far from it being the notion that the Supreme being is corporeal having material form. The Rambam is very, very clear about this over and over again. He starts the section that way, ends the section that way. No material form. It's not that God looks like you. It's that you have a form in that you're capable of intellectual perception. mm mm-hmm not that your intellectual perception is actually like his because Mm -hmm. he's not corporeal and you have a brain and you're dependent on senses and things like that but still there's a a kind of communion a kind of relationship which is enabled through that Mm -hmm. through that ability to not think but to perceive Mm -hmm. because he uses his translation anyway uses perception which is interesting translation so then sforno who's a, a commentator several hundred years later in Italy, uh, but frequently follows uh, Maimonides on many many things. He says, in the image of Elohim, when the word of Elohim appears as a description, right, because here it's a compound noun, so it's essentially describing what the tzelim is, it refers to creatures who are fully active in the intellect. Mm -hmm. This is probably familiar to you from medieval philosophy, the idea of an active intellect. So, you're fully actualizing that intellect. And that's what it means to, to be B'Tsele to be in the image of God. And that's not something that anybody does by default. Hmm. But the point is that people are capable hmm. of achieving that. Is everybody capable of achieving that? Presumably not. But is everybody capable of participating in that so that our species is able to achieve that so that we as Adam, as humanity are able to join with the divine in that way? I think the answer is a resounding yes, that everybody's able to be a part of that.
3: That's really a really interesting uh, way of sort of negotiating the ethical the potential ethical problems to to recognize our corporate uh, status or identity as a community of people. The whole species is, is exercising this rational thought. You could do the same with the whole species is ex- exercising dominion. Um, I think that's really helpful.
0: We have 613 mitzvot. Literally, nobody is capable of fulfilling mm. all 613. Hmm. Some can only be done by men. Some can only be done by women. Some can only be done by Kohanim, priests. Some Hmm. can only be done by Levim. Some can only be done by Yisraelim. Like you need everybody.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm hearing... This idea of this corporate aspect, but one more thing I'd like to pick up on that you commented on Mayor as part of this that echoed some of what I was reading this morning in a more theological discussion. And this is you know just an introductory text by Miglior, Faith Seeking Understanding, any comments. Being created in the image of God is not a state or condition, but a movement with a goal. Human beings are restless for a fulfillment of life not yet realized. Oh,
0: that's beautiful. This
2: this idea of growth and progress and movement towards something rather Mm. than just this idea of being stuck or Mm -hmm. just it is a status, but it is much more than that. And so I think we see some overlap there as well. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I was reading in Walton's *The Lost World of Genesis*, and he talked about how it's better to interpret Genesis these different acts as functional rather than material that they have a purpose. And it's almost like is creating them in his image. It's not a material thing to think yeah. of, but it's a it's functional, mm-hmm. and the function is to have community and to be in relation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an interesting way to to see our identity is that. Mm-hmm. The intent was function in community yeah. with each other and still with God.
3: I just found some of my notes on uh, Ryan Peterson's dissertation on the Imago Dei. He He's a theologian, also studied at Wheaton College, uh, where I did my PhD um, and Jen did her master's. He insists that the Imago Day is an expression of our identity, not a capacity that we have. So he, he lays that out more fully. Um, but he also distinguishes between identity as God's image and the realization of that identity. So, so leaving room for growth, as you've pointed out, that leaving room for maybe even potentially our corporate realization of that of that identity. That speaks to our
2: very uh, individualistic tendencies in mm-hmm. in Western culture and society. And Mm -hmm. maybe this calls us back Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. to our focus on community and living in community and relate not just living in community and relationship, but the importance of community.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been really, really thought provoking. Thank you for all of your time. Thanks for letting me come on as a learner and not as an expert. It's refreshing.
2: I think I can speak for all of us that we would love to have you back and come and talk a little bit about bearing the name and not just being the image.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, sometime
3: that'd be great.
0: Carmen, remind us before you go, what should people be looking for from you? Books, YouTube, what are the ways that people can connect with you?
3: I have a YouTube channel. Um, If you just look for Carmen Joy Imes, you can easily find it. And so there's a weekly Torah Tuesday video. They're about five or six minutes. I'm mostly working through Exodus as I write an Exodus commentary for Baker Academic, Um, but I've taken a short hiatus to to work on the Psalms. So there's four Torah Tuesdays on the Psalms uh, because I just signed a contract to produce a workbook on the Psalms that'll help people Hmm. um, access and experience Hebrew poetry in English. I'm I'm trying to give people a Hmm. taste of what it's like to read Hebrew poetry as English uh, wow English readers that so, was
2: fascinating
3: <laughs> so that's that's a ways down the road because i need to write the exodus commentary first but um a few on the psalms i also have a few torah tuesdays coming up on genesis 11 because i'm working on genesis 1 to 11 as part of my book on being god's image um, i was looking at the tower of babel story and finding so much cool stuff uh, so i decided to do a couple videos on that i have a blog carmenjoyimes.blogspot.com and you've already mentioned my book bearing god's name why sinai still matters um, which has great
0: reviews by the way
3: yeah it's a lot of kind people have have taken the time to to say what they think so
0: or maybe yeah. they're extremely meticulous people who just think it's a really amazing <laughs> book
2: well, it's like on its sixth printing or something, isn't it?
3: Carmen? It is on its sixth printing, and we're coming In up one year. on the one-year anniversary. Yeah. It came out December 10th last year, so it's been an incredible Read year interacting that. with people around the world, and it's, it's the popularization of my doctoral dissertation, which is called Bearing Yahweh's Name at Sinai, a Reexamination of the name command of the Decalogue, uh, which is published by Penn State University Press.
2: And Carmen has spoken about her her book, Bearing God's Name, on a number of podcasts. There's also at my blog, jenniferbrownjones.com. She did an interview with me uh, last December, so you could also check that out. And we can link that if you wanted to hear her talk about that. We can link to that on the episode webpage.
3: Yeah, we have on my blog, there's a page of all the articles I've written in other places online and all the other podcast interviews that I've done. Okay. well, we can include that so people
0: can. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with us. And everybody, please connect with Carmen some way. And we're looking forward to hearing, seeing and talking more with you.
3: All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks, Carmen. Carmen. Bye.